of August 17, 1980. At a campsite near Uluru, a scream is heard. Michael, Michael, the dingo's got my baby. This is the story of the disappearance of Azaria Chamberlain. I'm your host Cambo, grab a beer and pull up a deck chair. This is True Crime Island, another true crime podcast. So the last few weeks we ended up with cases all about stalking and there was a lot of feedback over the issue. I think we will still revisit the whole stalker thing again soon as there are a couple of cases of extreme stalking that I want to bring to you. I also want to maybe do a special on what to do if you are being stalked. I mean, I said you should not, you should block them if they contact you, but it was brought to my attention that some telcos around the world are not really set up to totally block certain callers from your phone and that they can still send messages or voicemails. So please email me with your suggestions on how to deal with stalkers and I can do an FYI episode that might be helpful to stalking victims. Now, before we get into today's show, I have to thank all the Islanders that have already voted for the island at the Australian Podcast Awards. More than 800 Islanders have already voted, and this really blows me away that you've taken the time to do this. Now, voting ends on the 14th of February, so there's only a few days left, and we still need to maybe double our votes, even though we are in third place. The two leaders have skipped ahead, but I have faith that we can still pip them at the post. So, show your support for the island, register and vote. There are links on my Facebook and Twitter, but if you don't have those, then it's the... Well, (laughs) I'll start that again. www.australianpodcastawards.com You get 10 votes to spread around, so please vote for my mate's Bloody Murder, Maul, Good Nightmare and Evidence Locker Podcast. Like I said, there's only a few days left and we desperately need all hands on deck for this. This will make a huge difference to take out the popular vote title, not only in the equipment that the winner gets, but also the publicity. This could mean being able to do the show full time. That means better and more content. Boom, fucker, langer. The rage. Ah, so that's the... uh, I'll start that again again so you don't put the in the front. www. AustralianPodcastAwards.com And again, thank you very much. Okay, so, sorry about my voice tonight. I've got the man flu a little bit, but I really want to get this in the can. Okay, so I tend to bring you a lot of lesser-known cases, but tonight I'll bring you one of the most famous or infamous cases in Australian crime history. If you don't know the facts of the case, you'll probably recognise a dingo's got my baby. Now, 
I remember when this actually happened. It was back in August of 1980. It was all over the news. Lindy and Michael Chamberlain, the Seventh-day Adventist couple from the outback town of Mount Isa, Western Queensland, were on every channel, every newspaper, all over the radio as their story started to unfold. So before we get into what did or didn't happen on the night in August, let's find out a little bit about who Michael and Lindy were. Now, most of this I'll be getting from court documents and news stories of the day, plus Lindy's website, which I'll give you the details for at the end. Alice Lynn Murchison was born on the 4th of March, 1948, in Wakatana, New Zealand. She and her family were members of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. From an early age, she was called Lindy, and she moved to Australia with her family in 1969. Michael Lee Chamberlain, according to his biography, was born in Christchurch, New Zealand, on the 27th of February 1944. His father served as a warrant officer in the Royal New Zealand Air Force during World War II, while his mother was involved with the administration of the Seventh-day Adventist Church in southern New Zealand. He started school at Lincoln High School and Christchurch Boys High School. He then studied at the University of Canterbury, but after converting to the Seventh-day Adventist Church in 1965, he left and migrated to Australia. He then went to Avondale College in Kurenbong and graduated with a Bachelor of Arts in Theology in 1969. It is at this time Michael meets Lindy. They were married on the 18th of November 1969. They had three children, a son named Aidan, who was born in October 1973, a son named Reagan, who was born in April 1976, and the daughter, Azaria, who was born on the 11th of June, 1980. Now, just a little note, I have given birth dates of children before, and I think it's best not to name or give too many details, even if they are in the public domain in, in the future, especially lesser-known cases, just for the privacy of those children involved. So I have given birth months tonight of Aiden, Reagan, and the full birth date of Zaria, but this was such a hugely publicised case over many, many years, mentioning their names and ages makes very, very little difference to their privacy. So Michael and Lindy live in Tasmania for about six years, as Michael, after graduated, worked as a minister of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Aiden was born while they were in Tasmania. They then moved to Bowen in, I hope I say this right, I'm going to get emails, Bowen or Bowen, I'm reckoning on Bowen in northern Queensland where Reagan was born in 1976. Michael worked in the church and Lindy made wedding dresses and helped out Michael at the church, I guess on the weekend. They then moved to Innisfail and then to Mount Isa. It is here that Lindy told friends that she wanted a baby girl and her wish was granted with Azaria being born in June 1980. In August of 1980, the Chamberlains Michael, Lindy, six-year-old Aiden, four-year-old Reagan and nine-and-a-half-week-old Azaria took off into Central Australia for a camping holiday. They would spend time in Alice Springs and then drive towards Ayers Rock or Uluru as it's now known. I think you all know that great big rock in the middle of Australia. They arrive at Uluru on the 16th of August and set up a campsite a couple of kilometres east of the rock. 
The area they camp has a great view of the rock. It's not far from a general store and just next to an Aboriginal camp. It has barbecue areas, toilets and showers. Everything you need so you can park your car, pitch your tent and take in the amazing landscape. The next day, the 17th of August, they climb the rock and there are pictures of Lindy holding up little Azaria in her little pink dress and all is good as the Chamberlains return to camp in the afternoon and later they watch the setting of the sun on the rock which is supposed to be spectacular. After watching the sunset, the family returned to their tent. Later, they went to the barbecue area to cook dinner and by 8pm, Lindy took the now sleeping Azaria back to the tent which was about 20 metres away from the barbecue area. She went there with Aiden, as Reagan had already gone to bed in the tent earlier. While Lindy placed Azaria in a basket and covered her with blankets, Aiden asked for some more food. Lindy and Aiden returned to where the adults were chatting at the barbecue area, but a short time later Aiden said, I think that's Bubby crying. Michael said to Lindy, Yeah, that was the baby. You better go and check. Lindy walked back towards the tent and as she approached it, she, she thought she saw a dingo at the opening of the tent with something in its mouth as it rushed off into the darkness. Lindy looked into the tent and saw that Reagan was asleep in his sleeping bag, but Azaria was gone. Lindy shouted out towards the barbecue area those famous words, Michael, Michael, the dingo's got my baby. Pretty soon there was a panic as Michael tried to find his car keys to be able to use a spotlight he had on his car to search the area where they thought the dingo had gone. He couldn't find them. Actually, Lindy had hidden them under a pillow earlier in the day and in all the frantic stress and panic, uh, no one could remember where they were. Anyway, he couldn't find them, so he asked for another set of campers if they had a torch frantically trying to explain how his baby daughter had been snatched by a dingo. Soon, a large number of people joined in the search, including some police and the ranger in charge of the area, a Mr. Roth. Azaria was nowhere to be found. The next day, dingo tracks and drag marks were found in an easterly direction from the campsite, and what looked like an impression where something the size of a baby had been placed was found about 100 metres away. Now, in the tent, as would be forensically examined by a Dr. Scott, there were three stains of blood, the largest about half an inch across on one blanket, and a thin smear on another. These may have been the blankets in which Azaria had been wrapped. There were small quantities of blood on a sleeping bag, There was quite a large area of staining on a floral mattress, some smeared blood on a parka, and a spot of blood on a raincoat. Now, I don't know if everyone knows what a parka is, but it's like a uh, rain jacket, warm jacket sort of thing, you know. I don't know. I think they went out of fashion and they all, all of a sudden they came back into fashion a couple of years ago. Anyway, the articles on which blood was found were in various parts of the tent and no blood was found on any other things that had been in the tent at the time. In particular, there was no blood on the bassinet, which stood in a corner at the rear of the tent 
and in which Azaria had allegedly been placed. An examination of the tent itself revealed some very small spots on the fly screen and the rear window that were thought to be blood, but were not confirmed as such. There was also a spray pattern, which Dr. Scott thought was blood, but not human blood, on the outside of the right-hand or southern wall of the tent. No trail of blood was seen leading from the tent. Michael and Lindy continued to search and looked visibly upset and distressed. By the morning, the world's media was starting to find out about this story of a baby being snatched by a dingo and was still missing. So they started to descend upon the central, of a, central part of Australia. Michael did go out of his way to engage the media. Now this would come back to haunt him later and the couple held a press conference with police. Well, if you haven't seen the photos of the time, Lindy, I would say, is a bit of a spunk and Michael is, well, so I've been told, quite handsome. So this made them ultra newsworthy. Soon though, the Chamberlains not only had the horror of losing their daughter, but they had polarised the nation. Probably half believed the dingo took the baby and half thought Lindy had murdered her and disposed of the corpse. They had stayed in the area for about a week after the disappearance and then went back to Mount Isa and tried to get on with their lives. On August the 24th, a blood-stained jumpsuit, booties, nappy and singlet were found by a guy called Wally Goodwin right near the rock in the opposite direction to what the dingo was thought to have gone. These items would be identified by Lindy as being the clothes that Azaria was wearing on the night, a matinee jacket that Lindy said Azaria was also wearing at the time was still missing and this matinee jacket would be extremely important. Police announced that a coroner's inquest would be held, but after their investigations had been completed, they didn't expect any charges to be laid against anyone. So here we have the Chamberlains returning from their horror holiday with no sign of Azaria other than some blood-stained garments that had been found. They are now being harassed in the street and her other kids are being bullied at school as the anti-Lindy brigade or those that thought she was a murderer gained momentum. Now back then, we had three commercial TV stations in Sydney and we had two other stations, the National Broadcaster ABC and the new SBS or Special Broadcasting Service which had foreign content. There was the radio stations of course and the newspapers. It was easy to get a photo of the Chamberlains, especially Lindy, looking like they were not grieving like parents should after a child goes missing. Lindy was starting to be seen as a hard-faced bitch, more concerned in looking good on camera than grieving for a daughter. Now, the fact that they were part of the Seventh-day Adventist church, this made them more of a target as they were seen as some sort of weird cult members that had sacrificed their child. There were rumours being spread in the media, and this is... The media was so bad in this case... There were rumours being spread in the media that Azaria actually meant sacrifice in the wilderness for fuck's sake and that she was a sickly child that the parents wanted to get rid of. Now, 
any small sort of checking of that fact would find out that it doesn't, it's, none of that is true. But it sells papers. And at the time, people were starting to turn on the Chamberlains. Of course, it was all just bullshit. And those close to the Chamberlains would say Lindy was an amazingly loving and caring mum. Look, at the time, going off what I saw in the media and from what I heard from a police friend of my sister's, I thought she'd killed the kid. I thought this for years until I was able to actually see the real story, the actual evidence, and not all the crap put about in the media to sell papers and get ratings. You can understand that someone who knows their kid is dead and not just missing would grieve totally different to parents that had a child abducted and could still be alive. The Chamberlains had to try to get on with their lives and the best they could ever hope is for someone finding Azaria's body. So I'm not about to compare Lindy and Michael to Kate and Jerry. And speaking of the McCanns, I will be doing my take on that case very soon indeed. Boomfuckalunga. That's something to look forward to. So, there's a coroner's inquest into what happened to Azaria that opened on the 15th of December 1980 and closed on the 20th of, Feb- Sep- 20th of February 1981. I'm trying to get through this the best I can. Magistrate Dennis Barrett ruled via live telecast, and this was the first of its kind in Australia, they telecast a courtroom session. Now, he wanted to do this because the media out there were being so vicious and everyone saw the fact and thought, oh, here we go, these people murdered their kid. He actually wanted to get it out there to everyone that this is what he found. So he ruled that the likely cause was a dingo attack. In addition to this finding, Barrett also concluded that subsequent to the attack, the body of Azaria was taken from the possession of the dingo and disposed of by an unknown method by a person or person's name unknown. Now, that was a little bit weird, so uh, we're not too sure about that. He gave a bit of a serving to the way the police conducted the investigation. Now, this pissed them off and the government off, and they then doubled down to try and get evidence to prove Lindy killed Azaria. How do you go? So here we have the grieving family finally able to get on with their lives. The coroner's finding televised live so everyone could see that they were not responsible for the death of their child. And hopefully this would get those who thought Lindy was a murderer to back off. And the cops step up their investigation to have another go at them. Well, the cops got some pommy expert out called James Cameron who said that there, this is in inverted quotes, air quotes, you can't see, there was an incised wound around the neck of the jumpsuit. In other words, a cut throat. And that there was a, an imprint of the hand of a small adult on the jumpsuit, visible in the photographs. Now, this is all absolute, well, the last bit's absolute rubbish. This led to a second inquest in September 1981. Now, that's just eight months after the first inquest. This led to Lindy being charged with murder and Michael being charged with being an accessory after the fact. Now, wow, this was big news at the time. 
the biggest news. <laughs> Boom, fuck a longer size. The trial would start on September the 13th, 1982. And at the time, Lindy was pregnant with her fourth child. So this is what the prosecutors thought had gone on. I've already told you what happened that night, so let's just go over that little bit again. So after watching the sunset, the family returned to their tent. Later, they went to the barbecue area to cook dinner, and by 8pm, Lindy took the now-sleeping Azaria back to the tent, which was about 20 metres away from the barbecue area. She went there with Aiden, as Reagan had already gone to bed in the tent earlier. Now, they had been chatting with another couple, the Lowe's, at the barbecue area, and they witnessed that Azaria was alive this time that Lindy went to the tent. Now, the police say it is at this time Lindy took Azaria into the car, sat in the front passenger seat, and cut the baby's throat. According to the Crown, the baby's dead body was probably left in the car, possibly in a camera bag, and was later that evening buried in the vicinity by Lindy and Michael. So she kills Azaria, then returns with Aiden, who was with her at the time, to the barbecue area. Problem with this is that the baby's cries are heard after Lindy returns to the barbecue area. So if the child is dead already, how does this happen? Unless it's a ghost baby. Also, The prosecution claims that there's not enough blood in the tent if Azaria had been taken by the dingo and that forensic evidence showed no dingo saliva on the jumpsuit. Now, the defence said that the lack of blood in the tent was because when the dingo bit into Azaria to drag her off, the teeth, they end up gripping her body so hard that it stems the flow of blood by basically plugging the puncture wounds. The blood can't get out. So a little bit does, but it's not like it's gushing out. So there would be some blood flow, but not a huge flow. They also said that there was no saliva on the jumpsuit. Now, because Lindy said she was wearing a matinee jacket over the top, which had not yet been found. Other evidence showed that there was material in the the Chamberlain's car that tested as fetal haemoglobin. So that's sort of like baby blood. Still, on October the 29th, 1982, Lindy, heavily pregnant, is found guilty of first-degree murder and sentenced to life imprisonment without parole. Michael, as accessory after the fact, receives an 18-month suspended sentence Suspended, everyone thought, so at least he could take care of the other two kids. On November the 17th, 1982, Lindy and Michael's child, Kalia, is born while she's in custody. Now, there's a lot of things in the background here about her trying to get bail. She, at, the, at this time, she's on appeal, right? So she can try and get bail and, and stay out of jail for a while while she's having this kid. The courts were having nothing, none of it, none of it whatsoever. Anyway, so Lindy was now the villain, the cold-hearted bitch face that everyone thought was guilty and nearly got away with murder. Justice was done and there were people out there with signs calling for the return of the death penalty. They wanted her to hang and back in the day, people didn't get offended so easily as they do today. So people going out there saying we want to kill you, you should hang, 
They're pretty well determined. But luckily, Lindy still had people on her side and she insisted she was innocent. On January of 1986, more than three years after being convicted, the matinee jacket that Lindy said Azaria was wearing when she went missing was found and was positively identified as the jacket. Prosecutors had said in in her court case that it was a fanciful lie that Azaria had been wearing the jacket and now this meant that not only she wasn't lying but the lack of saliva on the jumpsuit could be explained. The conviction was now looking really dodgy especially when it was found that sound deadener sprayed into the car when it was manufactured returns a similar result to fetal haemoglobin. Now, this matinee jacket was found in January and it was being held in a courtroom. Lindy's lawyer found out about it in February and he wasn't too impressed about not being told about this and he threatened to go to the press unless Lindy was released immediately. So you can imagine how much shit was going down around the justice system as this started to happen. And she was pretty much released from prison and a new inquiry was set up. The Attorney General of the time said regardless of the outcome of the inquiry, Lindy was not going back to prison. They don't say shit like that unless they know the victim, and in this case, Lindy, had been stitched up by the prosecution and police. After a 14-month royal commission, Justice Trevor Morling hands down his finding and clears the Chamberlains of all guilt or responsibility. If he had been asked, he finds support for the view that Azaria was taken by a dingo. In response, the Northern Territory offers them a pardon. Now, hey, have a pardon. You know, get out of jail. But this still indicates guilt in Australia. Now, Lindy wasn't going to accept that, and she fought to have their convictions quashed, wiped from the record books. On the 15th of September 1988, the Northern Territory Court of Criminal Appeals unanimously overturned all convictions against Lindy and Michael Chamberlain. The finding of the third coroner's inquest was released on the 13th of December 1995. The coroner found the cause and manner of death as unknown. Now, the Chamberlains would get some compensation. But how would you be? Getting framed for the murder of your child. The whole world sees you as a murdering bitch and you're sent away for life and all her appeals were failing. Only by luck that the matinee jacket was found. And you know how they found that? They found it because some British backpacker had fallen off Uluru, the rock, and they were looking for his body when they saw the jacket. It was found near or in a dingo's lair. How'd you be, eh? And all the media throughout portraying Lindy as she went to court each day, saying she showed no grief or emotion. I mean, fuck's sake. She's lost a daughter by dingo. A little body's never found. So it looks like the dingo ate the whole lot of her. She's then charged with murder on dodgy evidence. And the public are looking at her as she walks down the street trying to get on with her life. She's facing time in prison. You really have to learn how to deal with all this. 
You have to be strong. And in her case, believe, I guess, that God will sort it all out in the end. The fact she looked like she did each day going into court was because she was probably trying not to break down in tears every day. She had to try to show no emotion. She just had to stay strong. This was how she dealt with it. I mean, how would you deal with it? Out of anyone, she knew she didn't do it and was being tried in court for the murder of her child. She was seven months pregnant also at the time. Fuck. Anyway, the Chamberlers, sadly, they ended up divorcing in 1991. They ended up with new partners. And there would be a fourth inquest held in February 2012. It found that a dingo was responsible for the death of Azaria, Azaria and that the dingo did in fact have the ability to attack and kill humans and had done so in the past. She also said that Azaria Chamberlain died at Ayers Rock on the 17th of August 1980. The cause of her death was a result of being attacked and taken by a dingo. Also, a death certificate was registered with that cause of death recorded. Now, sadly, Michael Chamberlain died after a long battle with leukaemia not long ago on the 9th of January 2017, aged 72 years. For further reading on this, and I know I've just sort of briefly gone over it, There's John Bryson's book called Evil Angels. Now, that was turned into a film of the same name, but some places called the film A Cry in the Dark. That's the one with Meryl Streep as Lindy. There's also a TV miniseries called Through My Eyes based on Lindy's own book. Lindy also has a website with absolutely everything you would want to know about her and the case. That's lindychamberlain.com. So, Islanders, there you go. It's just a short overview of the case, but the main points are there. It was just a terrible tragedy having your nine-week-old daughter taken by a dingo, then being convicted on dodgy evidence to life without parole, and people wanting the death penalty. How would you grieve when only days out from your lost people, and especially police, are looking looking at you as a murderer? But Lindy stuck to her story. She always said she was innocent and after three years in prison, she was set free. Still, I wonder what she thinks. Looking back on her life, the day they set out on their family holiday from Mount Isa to Uluru, how her and her family's life changed from that day on was just a tragedy. Now, before we get to the end of the show stuff, I want to tell you about a book from one of our islanders, Hilda Thororensen, called His Sweet. Hilda, I'm trying to say your last name, but this cold, it's just stopping me from being able to pronounce your name perfectly. Anyway, it's a fast-paced little novel about a box of mysterious notebooks that are handed into Sheriff Yolanda Demetrio. Now, it's handed in by some boys who found them at an old abandoned house. On closer inspection, they seem to be the diaries of an abducted child. Sheriff Yolanda embarks on a race against time to try and piece together the puzzle and hopefully save this mystery girl. 
a great read and I recommend it, say, if you're going on a long-haul flight or maybe even on a shorter return flight. The read fits this perfectly. Once you start to read it, you won't want to put it down, you see. So that is his suite. And also look out for Hilda's other novel, Loner. Now, I'll spell her name so you can search for it on Amazon now. So it's Hilda, H-I-L-D-U-R, Thorarenson, T-H-O-R-A-R-E-N-S-E-N. So now it's time to shout out for the new and upgrading Patreon supporters. But before that, just a reminder again, please help the island get the popular vote award this year. It means all hands on deck to catch and pass the other two podcasts. So if you haven't voted, please take the few minutes to register and vote at australianpodcastawards.com. We have only a couple of days left until voting closes on February 14. Now, that's probably February 13 in some parts of the world. This is your podcast as much as mine. You, the listeners, the islanders, are the ones that keep it going. We still need at least, I reckon, if we can get another thousand votes, we'll sprint past these leaders. I know we have the numbers, so please let's vote as the island and Bloody Murder are the only two shows that can challenge the leaders and we are both genuine indie podcasts produced in our lounge rooms for all you loyal fans. As Tara says, let's keep kicking against the pricks. Also, don't forget to vote for Maul and Good Nightmare and Evidence Locker, of course. So for this week's Patreon shoutouts, a big meow to Lindsay from Bobby. Lindsay... Loves Bubby photos. I keep sending her photos. She's upgraded her uh, Patreon this week. Uh, hi to Kate Foss. Thank you very much, Kate. And Kimberly Waters. Thank you so much. Everything is appreciated. Thank you so much for your support. And again, th- so much. Uh, thanks so much to all present and past patrons, all the supporters of the island. Remember, True Crime Island is a totally listener-supported podcast. I keep it ad-free, as I know you don't like them. (laughs) Neither do I. I don't want to deal with advertising agents or anything like that. So, if you want to support the island financially for as little as a dollar a month, you too can become a patron. Go to patreon.com forward slash truecrimeisland and check out the levels and rewards. I have three mugs. I hope everyone got their mugs this week. I sent three out to three Aussies last week they're on the $10 level so after three months on a $10 level you get a Boompakalunga or Logo Mug or Mugger Rage and uh, on the $20 level you actually get t-shirt after three months $5 level you get stickers straight away and of course there's any level under that alternatively you can do one-off donations at paypal.me forward slash truecrimeisland Although, you can support the island by getting hold of some merch, such as t-shirts, hoodies, beach towels, and fantastic tote bags. My favourite are the Mugs of Rage, all available from truecrimeisland.threadless.com. And if you do buy something, don't forget to Instagram it or Facebook it. We've seen quite a few good ones lately. Remember, listeners, please don't order black mugs until further notice. I can't take them off the store without taking everything off the store. 
I do have the keychains, lapel pins, stickers and beer koozies. I've got a few left, which you will need to contact me directly for. This can be done by emailing me, cambo at truecrimeisland.com. And that is also the best way to contact me personally for anything else such as case requests or just to say bumfuckalunga. Now, you don't have to spend money to support the island. You can also rate and review and tell your friends, family and workmates about the island. And if they don't know how to tune in, you should show them. You can search for True Crime Island on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Join the closed group on Facebook, please. That's fantastic. Somebody will let you in. We've got some great moderators. Okay, that's about it for the show tonight. Don't forget, please vote Australian Podcast Awards. That'll be the last time I have to say it, I think, because it'll be over in a few days' time. Lots of love to, love to Maggie James, and I'm your host, Cambo, and you've been listening to True Crime Island, and as I always say, don't forget to delete your browser history. Good night. Boom, fucker,